Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. On the Bechdel cast, the questions asked if movies have women in them. Are all their discussions just boyfriends and husbands, or do they have individualism? The patriarchy's effing vast. Start changing it with the Bechdel cast. Hi. Hi. <laughs> uh, welcome to the Bechdel cast. My name's Jamie Loftus. My name's Caitlin Durante. And we're taking a trip. Uh, we, we're, we're recording in Vista Del Mar. Yeah, we are. Are we, what is our generation's uh, culottes? Is there, is that, is that just like a, is there a pant for our generation that well, would qualify as culottes or is that just kind of timeless across generations? Do you remember when gauchos were a, a big thing? Among vaguely there, I remember mm. like capris was like I think that's yeah. the first that's the first distinct pant that I besides like shorts that I remember <laughs> being like oh in uh-huh. like middle school like we would wear capris once it became March sure right it might be I mean gauchos were a thing for maybe like two years when I was like a sophomore ish in college so you might have what are gauchos describe these they're basically the same thing as culottes just with a different name (laughs) they look very comfortable now that i'm like older i'm 500 years old now and i'm like these pants like i understand the appeal of cool i used to like make fun of my mom's pants Mm -hmm, constantly but it turns out that they were she was she was right i was wrong Mm -hmm. i was wearing like low-rise jeans and had a death wish you know (laughs) so this is our podcast uh (laughs) where we take a look at your favorite movies using an intersectional feminist lens using the Bechdel test as a jumping off point for discussion but Mm -hmm. what is that well sometimes it's when a woman named 
Barb and another woman named Star mm-hmm. talk to each other about something other than a man for most of the movie. Yeah. Um, but I guess more generally, our version of the test is when two people of any marginalized gender with names speak to each other about something other than a man and they have a, you know, meaningful conversation meaningful to the to the narrative yeah and yeah we're, we're covering barb and star go to vista del mar today i'm so excited <laughs> to cover this movie and we have an incredible guest with us oh my gosh we, we sure do let's <laughs> get was, her in here that was that was my um midwest attempt uh, i literally i did che- <laughs> okay we i did check with my my boyfriend's mom who is a bona fide barb and star type i was like is this do you feel like seen by this do you feel like made fun of by this and she was like this is my favorite movie. I love it so much. Like we gave her our rental code for it and she flipped. It is, it is Sari from Racine, Wisconsin approved. And that's good enough for me. Hell yeah. Our guest though is a comedian. She has a new audiobook out called Dirtbag Anthropology. She's uh, the host of Reply Guys podcast. It's Kate Willett. Hello. Hello. It's so welcome. nice to be yeah. talking with you. Oh, we're so we're so happy to have you again. I I cannot do this accent. We're so happy to have you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, thank you. I'm really looking I don't know. This is like <laughs> Tina Fey's impression of Sarah Palin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So happy. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for bringing us this movie. Oh, had you not heard Truly. of it? I I, thought, I I felt like you had probably heard of it because the person who told me about this movie was Julia Clare, who I know is, oh, a, yes. is a solid buddy of uh, Jamie Loftus. I mean, mm. yeah, it was it was on my radar, but uh, I hadn't seen it until we started prepping for this episode. Yeah, ne- me neither, actually. I was just like, this really? looks good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh- yeah, I was so excited for this movie to come out because this this was like another uh, movie that got pandemic where it was shot like two years ago. Mm-hmm. And I remember seeing trailers for it like back when you could still be in movie theaters and being and because I think it was supposed to be like a summer movie last year. And I was like, oh, my God, that that looks so good. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen Kristen Wiig do something like truly goofy and fun in so long. Yeah. So we, we rented it the day it came out. It was awesome. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was great. I love it. Uh, especially after Kristen Wiig. I mean, no, I we got a lot of requests for Wonder Woman 1984. And then we both watched it. And we were like, I don't, I just felt nothing. And <laughs> I I felt angry. I was like mad at how bad I thought that movie was. And I was like, yeah, I mean, maybe we'll cover it eventually. But I'm like, it is not a priority for me. Because that movie yeah, stunk. Rushing. I heard it was really bad. Yeah. It wasn't great. And it was also like, I don't know. It's always like f- extra frustrating when it's like someone that you know. Like, I don't know. Kristen Wiig plays like the the big bad in that movie. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, she's boring in it. And I'm like, how did you make her boring? Like, that's a that's a you problem. Patty Jenkins. Sorry. Remember when she plays a weird character in Mother! Exclamation point. Oh, I God, I try not to think <laughs> about Mother! Exclamation point. But that is true. And she's also, I mean, she went through, we've talked about this, like, I think on our crazy stupid love episode where it's like when the like super successful comedian goes through like a phase of movies that are all like very serious indies and Mm -hmm. some of them are good and some of them are like 
Kristen Wiig had that phase. She was also, wasn't she in The Martian? Was she? I don't remember. Have I lost touch with reality? I don't know. No, it's Uh, just that I don't remember that movie very well. (laughs) I'm pretty sure. And she's in her. She's in a lot of like real slow burns. Yeah. Anyways, this movie is a movie I I actually enjoy, unlike all the ones we just listed. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah, I, I too. I mean... You know me, I love a romp, and this movie is oh, like baby. textbook definition of a romp. <laughs> 10 out of 10 on Caitlin's rompometer. Rompometer. Ro- ro- the rompometer. <laughs> I yes. believe it's pronounced rompometer, yeah. <laughs> yes, I, I'm, I'm so sorry. Yes. <laughs> yeah, what a, what a, I wasn't sure exactly what to expect. I was, I think I was picturing kind of like a girl's trip-esque narrative in the sense that like two people go on vacation and they have a vacation. I was not expecting there to be like an evil mastermind villain. I wasn't expecting an evil revenge plot about killer mosquitoes. Like, Yeah, it was fun. This was like, it felt like it was one of those scripts where it just was like, written in a state of like a a very open mind of like what could we put in this movie like sky's the limit killer mosquitoes Mm -hmm. an underground lair you know a threesome Mm -hmm. it was just really funny yeah yeah it's great yeah well i guess i should just get into the recap and then we'll go from there shall we yes oh yeah and kate feel free to jump in at any time yeah the recap is a safe space Uh, okay, so we open on a young paper boy. This is Yo-Yo. He is delivering newspapers around a neighborhood. And then he enters the lair of Sharon Gordon Fisherman, <laughs> whose name, I, like, I had to pull that from IMDb because I was not sure if we, do we hear her n- name in the they movie? They call her Sharon a couple of times, but yeah, I could, I just kept thinking of her as like bad Kristen Wiig. <laughs> right. Yes. She is played by Kristen Wiig. She's like a super villain type and she reveals plans to unleash a swarm of genetically engineered killer mosquitoes into an as yet undisclosed small town. Mm-hmm. Then we cut to Barb and Star, that's Annie Mumolo and Kristen Wiig, respectively. They live in Soft Rock, Nebraska. Soft Rock, I love that so much. Yeah. Good. <laughs> this movie does like really reward reviewing, as because I've now seen it three times. Uh, there's mm-hmm. something new and fun in like the super specific details mm-hmm. every time. Indeed, yeah. They are very stereotypical midwestern women in their 40s types Hmm. they are best friends they are also roommates which i did not pick up on the first time i watched it um but they live together and they share a bedroom which is so funny like lucy and ricky style yeah (laughs) they have like separate (laughs) full-size beds Uh uh-huh they work at a furniture store which they get let go from because the whole chain has closed Seven months ago. Seven months ago. (laughs) (laughs) They also get Uh, kicked out of their talking club, which is the funniest joke I've ever heard. Yeah. And like full of like recognizable, like great female character actors. Mm. There's so many good. uh, It was. Yeah. Just wonderful. I love the talking club so much. Like it's (laughs) it's like a book club, but it's a talking club. (laughs) 
<laughs> no books. Oh my yeah, book club for women who have never read a book before. Watching Vanessa Bear be so extremely cruel to whoever was locked out of Talking Club is so good. I kept wondering who was like doing the voice of Gail, the woman who gets locked out. Mm. I forgot to look it up though. Also that um that <laughs> the hot dog soup uh <laughs> triggered my fight or flight reflex because so I mean it's like and I've seen I know that that's like poking fun at midwestern food some of which is genuinely baffling to me mm-hmm. and very thick it's rich yeah. yeah a lot of texture dishes out there I honestly like would eat that soup though yeah oh I bet it's delicious is yeah. the thing too it just like looks like it's already been eaten yes <laughs> stealing the soup yeah mm-hmm Anyway, so Barb and Star are kind of down on their luck at the moment. And they also realize that all the fun times that they used to have together were from years before. And they feel that they've lost their shimmer. So when their friend tells them about a vacation she just took to Vista Del Mar, Florida, they decide to take a trip together as well. Meanwhile, Sharon Gordon Fisherman gives one of her henchmen, Edgar, played by Jamie Dornan, uh, a microchip which he will need to activate the receiver, which is going to attract all of the killer mosquitoes. Which is and like she ins- confusing and also doesn't super matter if you don't fully right. like, <laughs> process the plot. It was very uh, Black Mirror, that element. You know, it was like kind of yeah, like yeah. Austin Powers meets Black Mirror. <laughs> I also loved the Jamie Dornan casting. Like it was such a, uh, like watching it again last night. I was like, well, it's such a like, because I feel like that's happened. I'm trying to think of other examples of like guy who's mostly known for being hot. All of a sudden, like you're like, oh wait, and he's pretty entertaining, and he's uh, trying so hard in this movie in a way that it like, and I mean that as like a compliment. Where if he knew he was funny, the performance wouldn't be like as good i feel like he's performing as if he's like is this working like (laughs) full commitment like yeah Uh uh-huh yeah i feel like another example of that would be um one of the chris's chris hemsworth in his role in the like 2016 ghostbusters when he's like this goofy right guy i vaguely remember that because we covered that movie but i feel like it just it just left my body (laughs) (laughs) that's acceptable hot guy trying to be funny um you know it's hit or miss but sometimes it worked in this case it worked with jamie dornan it works because yeah the only thing i'd ever seen him in was like the 50 shades trilogy and i was like oh my god that's him he's like the yeah oh jesus i never i like refuse to watch those movies but that is so funny that what he's famous for is like being like uh the hitting guy and then now he's like this like a you know very uh gentle character who's obsessed with being in an official relationship (laughs) yeah (laughs) that was my favorite part of the entire movie it's so funny yeah Yeah. i also i just just a quick jamie dornan fact because i knew nothing about this man i also detested the 50 shades movies and everyone's bad in those movies because the movies are bad um, mm-hmm. But he started as a model, which I guess isn't super surprising. But sure. there was a time in the early 2000s where he was known as the Golden Torso. The New York oh. Times. So he's, <laughs> I was like, I don't know. I mean, we talk about women being objectified a lot. But uh, yeah, he. the New York Times declared him the Golden Torso okay. in 2001. So, you know, shout out to the Golden Torso. 
Good for him. I feel like by the time you give a nickname involving the word torso, there's there's just no gray area with are you objectifying this person? You know what I mean? Like <laughs> right. piece by piece, literally. Right. But I love it. I'm thrilled that the golden torso got to like show his skills. Mm-hmm. This is his time. I mean, talking about a shimmer, like he is shimmering all over this movie. Cute accent too. That was my, I, when I saw his picture, I was like, eh, I'm not going to have a celebrity crush on him. But when I heard the accent, I was starting to feel more flexible on that point. <laughs> yeah, same. He's Irish in real life, right? Yeah. That's his real accent? He is from Northern Ireland. Uh, and also, I couldn't tell if I was like, is he like trying to do, because in, in some scenes, I'm like, is he trying to sound American right now? Like, his accent is like all over the place, but I just don't care. I love it. <laughs> He's the son of a gynecologist. Listen, I read wow. his whole Wikipedia page. Wow. There are so many things I relate to about this guy already. Perfect torso. <laughs> Child of a gynecologist, former model. I'm like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's we've really... had the same life. Yeah. He's an everyman. Yeah. <laughs> um, so he has been given this like microchip or whatever, which he will take to Vista Del Mar and activate because that's going to attract the killer mosquitoes. And also, like you mentioned, Kate, Edgar is in love with Sharon, and all he wants is to be an official couple with her. But it's clear that she is stringing him along and that she doesn't want to be an official couple with him. Yeah. So then Barb and Star fly to Vista Del Mar. On the flight, they talk about an imaginary woman named Trish the whole flight tragically died who tragically died and turned into a water spirit and i only mention that now because we've got a chekhov's trish happening um so very a goddess ex machina uh, (laughs) here yeah right right and then there's this whole thing where they like they go to the wrong hotel and it turns out they're staying in a crummy motel but then they manage to get a room in the nice hotel after all and that's where Edgar is staying. And they meet him when they're all drinking at the hotel bar. And they end up hanging out with him all night. They drink a bunch. They take drugs. They dance to a techno remix of My Heart Will Go On. And as yeah, soon as that's that, where I became convinced. That, yeah. That's like, because that's like 35 minutes in. And I, like, I liked, I, I was like, this is a really funny movie, like up until that point. But as soon as I heard like, do, 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 I was like, this movie is for me <laughs> well the music that i loved in this was uh they had richard cheese in the movie yes richard cheese is such a kind of classic gen x guy you know what i mean like it felt <laughs> mm-hmm. like perfect to like their mm-hmm. age and you know like it was great <laughs> I remember like a boy in high school being like showing me Richard Cheese because his like uncle had showed him and <laughs> being really blown away. Like Richard Cheese and the Mighty Boosh was just like mm. it. Yeah, I was it was so nice to see him. I was like, wow, like Gen Z gets Richard Cheese now. Good for them. Wow. Okay, so they they dance to all this music together and then they spend the night together. 
and Edgar leaves the next morning. But oh no, he's lost the microchip, which activates the mosquito thing. Or something. (laughs) Or something. So Sharon has to call this, like, secret spy man who she knows to come in and fix Edgar's mistake. Cue Edgar singing a song, which goes something along the lines of, Seagulls in the sand, can you hear my prayer? And it, oh my God. It's, it's great. so funny. The best part of the movie, I think. It's great. Yeah, there's, I don't know if this has been mentioned so far, but there are multiple musical numbers in this film. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's not a musical, but <laughs> it is music inclusive. Yeah. Oh yeah, because there's that big, that big number when they first get to the hotel and then they yeah. find out it's a motel and the song right. abruptly ends. <laughs> and a number is, exactly the right term for it it is a number it, it is a number it's a showstopper 15 minutes in it's, yeah. yeah very it's moulin great. rouge but like <laughs> yeah. like midwestern moulin rouge oh, it truly is like so fun to see uh like just see what people do if they have enough money to do whatever they think is funny because mm-hmm. that just very much feels like what this movie is it's like wow we could actually get a budget to do what like the weirdest shit we can think of great <laughs> yep um so edgar sings his song which is my favorite part of the movie i listened to it on repeat this morning um, meanwhile, Barb and Star are pretending to have forgotten all about Edgar from the night before, but they secretly both want to see him again. So first, Barb sneaks out to go talk to him, but then she realizes that her and Edgar aren't really meant to be, and she values her friendship with Star more than a man. So she goes back to her and Star's room, but then Star goes out to meet up with Edgar has a very similar, if not identical, conversation to the one that Barb and Edgar just had. Mm. But then he and Star have sex, which is a secret that Star keeps from Barb. I do love that, like, (laughs) just that, like, Barb is such a, like, champion. She's like, I can't do this. Like, I need to respect my friend. And then Star is like, um, we can only fuck twice. (laughs) Yeah. I will, and they, like, I feel like we skipped over that they also fucked each other in the threesome, because I thought that was a brave detail, is, like, they had sex together Mm -hmm. in the first night, and uh, referenced the sex, and it was, I thought that was kind of an interesting aspect of, that they portrayed it as kind of a a no big deal thing. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, So, yeah, they move on immediately like if you left to pee you would not know that they fucked each other it never (laughs) comes up again really right yeah they're just normalizing having threesomes with your friends (laughs) uh meanwhile sharon's associate a spy by the name of darley bunkle played by damon waynes jr contacts edgar to assist him I love that. I love the scene where they're on the the phone scene is my favorite. I think his first scene where he's like, no, I have to go. <laughs> oh, he's great. And then back at Sharon's lair, she explains her backstory to Yo-Yo, which is that when she was young, her family moved to Vista Del Mar, where she was bullied for her pale skin. And then after an incident, which like, 
utterly humiliated her, caused her father to suffer a heart attack and die, and caused her mother to leave her. And she got launched onto a Disney cruise ship out of a cannon. Yes. Yes. Uh, Sharon vowed to seek revenge on all of the residents of Vista Del Mar, hence this big revenge plot. As a child, she very much, it's like full-on Wednesday Adams aesthetic. Mm. Very, yeah. Yeah, I ha- I have some things to say about all of yeah, that. I was curious but... <laughs> if we were going to talk about that, yeah. Yeah, 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 we'll get there. Uh, meanwhile, Star sneaks off to spend more time with Edgar, and then while that's happening, Barb is doing a bunch of like fun stuff that she and Star were supposed to do together. They both feel really bad about lying to each other, and then Barb finds out about Star's love affair with Edgar, mm-hmm. and Edgar is about to like call off the whole mosquito plan because he's falling out of love with Sharon and in love with Star. But yeah. anyone who's in Kristen Wiggs' body, he's yes. in love with. <laughs> right. Well, I feel like to like to be fair, that feels like what a lot of us do. Like <laughs> you know, for me, it's not Kristen Wiggs' body, but it's like <laughs> some unkempt man with a beard. You know, just like <laughs> switch him out. He's got mm-hmm. a type. He's got a type. Yeah. Yep. But then Sharon convinces Edgar that Barb and Star are spies and that he needs to kill them. Meanwhile, Barb and Star confront each other about lying. But then Edgar comes in and ties them up. And then Sharon abducts them. Alligators are about to eat them. But they manage to escape with the help of their culottes. Mm. Which, if you're not familiar and you haven't seen the movie First of all, go see the movie. But there are these like very flowy capri type pants that are like it's very like a skirt and shorts mixed together. Basically, yeah. <laughs> I didn't know that that's what those were called until this movie. So. They go by many names, maybe. I don't yeah. know. I think I'm gonna buy some. <laughs> no, I mean they can truly save your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, as we see in this movie. One of my favorite Bechtel test passes of this movie was Kristen Wiig telling the other Kristen Wiig to jump off a cliff. Yeah, it's it was yeah. a very feminist moment of the film. It's incredible. So then they run off to stop the mosquito attack. But oh no, Sharon had already triggered the receiver to attract all the mosquitoes. So then they fight with Sharon in the middle of the ocean. The mosquitoes attack Sharon, and then Barb and Star are brought safely back to land by Trish, the water spirit lady who they had brought up on their flight, who is played by Reba McIntyre. <laughs> and then Sharon shows back up with like all these mosquito bites, but then she learns the power of friendship, and she becomes friends with all of the residents of Vista Del Mar. And then Barb and Star get their shimmer back and they ride a banana boat together. And that's the end of the movie. Love it. So let's take a quick break and then we will come back to discuss. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? 
why did the internet choose them, and what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time, and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course, we'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table, because geek culture is pop culture, and we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. back we're back caitlin you brought this up during the recap so i, I kind of just wanted to like touch on it at the top mm. the stuff with sharon's back story do you want because there's so i have so many um compliments to shower on this movie so i think mm-hmm. let's let's start with the stuff that um aren't as compliments i guess yeah so for me and th- this is something that we talked about pretty recently on our da vinci, da vinci code, code okay yes we're we're, we're we're going the same we're on the same page sure. yes 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 so that was a matreon episode but what we brought up then and now is the trope of the evil albino villain character and while sharon gordon fisherman doesn't specifically have albinism because she has a made up condition called Pigmentatia degenera hysterica white skinica. Right. This condition seems to have pretty similar characteristics of albinism. And because she is the villain of this movie, I feel like we could pretty safely like put her in the category of this trope, which is obviously very harmful in its depiction of people with albinism, portraying them as being villainous, untrustworthy, ill-intentioned. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Uh, it is definitely a trope we see all all the time. I mean, there's, I think, 
movies that weaponize this trope to varying degrees mm-hmm. and the da vinci code and barb and star are certainly very different weaponizations of this trope but it's just like kind of stunningly lazy given how thoughtful so many elements of the movie is and it and it just like does end up kind of coming off as a lazy ableist choice that feels like it's 15 years old, even though right. most of the movie for me felt so modern. And I would be interested in hearing what listeners think, particularly listeners with albinism. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, even beyond that, it's also just like the trope of like the villain is the person who doesn't look like everyone else, right. yeah. you know, yeah. uh, or the, the villain is somebody with uh, some kind of medical condition, you know, mm-hmm. it's kind of ableist. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, she's othered in this particular way. And because she has such pale skin, she's got like pale eyes. She has an extreme sensitivity to the sun. Yeah, it, it felt to me, that even though, again, they don't identify it as albinism. I think it's, you know, definitely coded. Yeah. yeah. So I was very disappointed to see that in a movie that came out this year. You would think that we've, you know, we've moved past that. But yeah, uh, it turns out no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree. And and it's especially frustrating in a movie that like avoids so many tropes that would have been very easy in like a movie with this tone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like uh, othering your villain is always going to have connotations to it. And like, I mean, no one else in the movie is is othered in that way. Right. Yeah, exactly. I was yeah, I was like put off by that. I still really like the movie, but I was like, oh, really? Come on. Like, eh, why? So that I didn't love. Um, The other thing that kind of I was like, oh, really? This is in the movie was there's there's a Morgan Freeman joke. Yeah, that was I was just like, that's (laughs) what year was this script written? Like, (laughs) yeah, I'm just like, did they not get the memo that he has a history of like harassing women on movie sets. Did did they not? I don't know. So yeah, I was surprised to see that there. I, I wish it could have been any other old actor, you know, <laughs> like, and you would have had the same joke. Yeah, mm-hmm. I also felt like the I forgot what the the child's name. Yo 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 yo. Yeah, that was kind of a. I don't know that there was definitely aspects of his depiction that felt like they were heavily relying on stereotypes along those lines. I felt too, that like there's a couple moments in the movie where there's, there's a music cue that sounds like kind of native flute and drumming. Yeah. Which like the Tommy Bahama. Yeah. The Tommy Bahama stuff mostly. And I'm interested to hear what our native listeners think about that. But to me, it feels like just kind of like a weird and like appropriative thing to have in a movie with no native people in it. Yeah. So just, yeah. It's just like lazy writing too. Yeah. Like just not, yeah. I think he was supposed to be like some kind of shaman, but like a shaman of of what you know just like this kind of general magical uh shaman guy Mm -hmm. you know it's also i didn't i don't know why i didn't realize on my first watch that that was literally andy garcia but it's also he's not credited as andy garcia is he credited credited as tommy Tommy bahama Bahama. (laughs) oh my god so i think maybe that's (laughs) that could be why 
Not to brag or anything, but I did recognize him as Andy Garcia. Right. I just have an eye for Andy. So. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> um, yeah, there and and those aspects. I mean, the, the the three things that we just touched on. It did feel like the elements because this very much feels like an SNL movie to me even though it isn't mm-hmm. and those moments kind of like ping the part of your brain that like most SNL movies do not hold up for reasons like this of like a huge plot point that is extremely homophobic a huge plot point that is extremely racist that mm-hmm. you know th- most of those movies even for fans of them like they you can't really make much of an argument for large aspects of them and I mean, they're they're smaller in this movie, but they're definitely still present. Yeah. Right. I mean, the movie is also, like... I mean, like, all all four main characters are white people, too. Right. Where it's like, right. I, I mean, I get, like, you know, the whole thing is that they're from the Midwest and stuff, but... Yeah. Know, that's not, like, what the whole Midwest is, you know? Yeah, the Midwest is... Like, I, I mean, not as diverse as other areas of the country, but it's not all white people. And there were definitely, like, opportunities for there to be more diversity because it's like, I mean, even in Talking Club, I think the only person who isn't white is um, Rose Abdu, who is mm-hmm. one of my favorite character actors. I've been mm-hmm. watching her since uh, she was on Gilmore Girls. Nice. Oh, okay. Yeah. Nice. She's great. Yeah, there aren't that many characters of color and the ones who are present in the story are relegated to more like secondary or tertiary characters. Yeah. So I was also honestly surprised. I guess we're just going to get all our grievances out at the top. I was honestly surprised. This isn't even really a criticism. I was just surprised that this movie was directed by a guy. I I like it's such a movie centered on middle-aged women that I was like, that was I. I just I didn't even realize like realize until later on. I was like, oh, this is directed by a guy named Josh. Just would not have <laughs> expected that in this case. Yeah, I mean, directed by a guy. That's one thing. A guy named Josh. That's even an escalation right there. You know, <laughs> that's <laughs> yeah. that's twisting the knife. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Written though by Kristen Wiig and Annie Mumolo, and yeah. the movie also has a number of producers who are women. Mm-hmm. Uh, including Jessica Elbaum, who founded Gloria Sanchez Productions, which is a production company that focuses on producing female-driven comedy projects. Oh, yeah. They also did Booksmart, Hustlers. Those are the good ones. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So, um, but I was similarly surprised that a man would have been hired to direct this movie. Yeah. So, uh, uh, you know... (laughs) Let's talk about the fun parts. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. <laughs> I love that this is a movie about friendship between women. I love this is uh, that this is a movie about women in their like mid 40s finding their shimmer because they feel like they're kind of just fading away and they want to rediscover themselves and like reignite their excitement for life this is like a a version of eat pray love that i enjoy yeah (laughs) it's not Uh. so uh, it's not so self-serious obviously you know yeah Mm -hmm. this is a pretty small thing but one of my favorite parts of this movie was the relationship self-help books <laughs> that, <laughs> that the characters are reading. Sharon's reading one and mm-hmm. Edgar's reading one. And I, I think that the one that Edgar's reading is called something like 
how to feel like someone loves you even when they don't show it most of the time. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then Sharon's book is like how to convince someone you love them to get them to do what you want. And <laughs> right. I just, I don't know. That's very, it's really small, but I think that that was like a, a funny takedown of that, the whole self-help industry, which is often, you know, marketed to women in like a pretty sexist way a lot of the time, mm-hmm. you know, like versions of like, here's how to be, you know, more appealing to men or accommodate men or something in some way. Mm. And so I definitely thought it was funny that they got a dig in at that. Yeah. Yeah. Similarly, I liked that there was kind of like a, a role reversal in terms of you see this man pining after the love and affection of this like evil mastermind woman. I feel like that's not something you see that much in terms of like, uh, especially like, a hot former model, former golden yeah, torso. The golden torso. Yeah. <laughs> Jamie Dornan. <laughs> yeah, he's unapologetically sentimental, ongoingly re- referring to his relationship aspirations as uh, being an official couple. An official couple. <laughs> like a 15-year-old. Yeah, but it's the kind of thing that, like, you know, like women openly expressing a desire for, you know, like, commitment or sentimentality mm-hmm. is often portrayed as like you know there oh there's something wrong with her you know <laughs> and um i i thought that it was yes i agree that it was very fun role reversal in this movie yeah especially because he does he still respects her boundaries yeah he's always like are you are you re- ready to maybe become an official couple yet like he's not like wearing her down or like hounding her or like just like being really obsessive about I mean he's kind of obsessive but he's not like he's still like doing this kind of from a distance yeah he's anxious (laughs) but he's not creepy you know yeah 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 and I liked that those are the aspects of Sharon's character that I really liked was like how I mean it's like no one should be emotionally manipulative in a relationship but it was a fun reversal to see like and and like you're saying Kate with with the self-help books and also just like in general there are even though one of even though Star does end up in a relationship with Edgar I felt like especially for a movie about middle-aged women who who um are they're not mothers they're like not the type of middle-aged female character that you're kind of used to seeing, especially leading a movie. Mm -hmm. And they don't make any of the easy, like lazy choices that you would make with a character like that. They're not like pining for a husband. They're not like, where are my children? Like, it's just such a simple premise of like, well, I am middle-aged and, and I want to figure myself out. And like, I, mm-hmm. I feel like I've lost touch with myself. Yeah. And they're also, they seem generally more concerned about how other women view them than really anyone else. They're worried about each other. They're worried about how the talking club perceives them. <laughs> and it was just like a cool, so- I don't know. It's like, I, you, you never see that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, just to kind of piggyback off that, like, I thought it was cool that they were both on journeys of self-actualization and that mm-hmm. you see, you know, Barb's character, her journey of self-actualization is solo. It's involving, like, a lot of adventures. And Star's journey is, like, a relationship journey. She's opening her heart to love and experiencing that vulnerability again. And Mm -hmm. I felt like the film did not make any sort of value judgment 
about which of those is better, you know? And like, that's right. good because I, I often feel like even feminism asks us to kind of, you know, like either it's like independence is good or, you know, a relationship is good or, you know, like, and it's just, it's like often presented as very like feminist versus not feminist. And in reality, most of us have both desires, you know, not everyone, but right. um, yeah, it was just, it was just cool to see the film kind of not, like Barb's journey is not a joke. It's not pathetic. You know, uh, Star's journey is not weak. I just really liked that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and an element of Star's journey, I mean, it's only mentioned in kind of one scene, but I like when I was watching it to prepare for for this episode, I especially appreciated it was like Star also talked about like her body image and like how she as she was getting older, she was feeling unlovable. She felt like she was never going to be loved again. And then she says like the line is super goofy, but it was like it's where she's like, you saw all my like folds and holes folds and holes. <laughs> You weren't bothered by it. And you didn't run away. <laughs> and it's like, it's a, it's, I don't know. It's my favorite kind of joke because it's funny, but it's not at her expense. And yeah. the response to it is not cruel. And he's just like, yeah, <laughs> like Edgar is such a good active listener. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I like that. Like, I mean, it's not like harped on, uh, but it is like referenced in a way that felt like, I don't know, like genuine and, and funny. Mm -hmm. I liked it. Let's take another quick break and then we'll come right back. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. 
And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course, we'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Um, you mentioned this in the in the recap, Kate, but the the fact that they like they have that like steamy threesome together the first night that they meet Edgar and it's clear that like you know that Barb and Star were doing sex things to each other yeah and that they do not make a deal of it at all in the aftermath which like again is like that would have been like an easy slash lazy choice that a lot of comedies have done so I'm so glad that they did not do that in this movie. I'm thinking particularly of a scene in the movie Trains, Planes, and Automobiles where Steve Martin and John Candy, they have to sleep in the same bed and they wake up like spooning each other. And as soon as they realize that they are like embracing each other, they both dash out of bed and like are like, oh my God, gross. They like didn't, they didn't even have sex yeah. the way that like Barb and Star yeah. did, but <laughs> they just made physical contact. They just like touched each other. And then, yeah. And then, but they're like flipping out that they even like were hugging, like holding each other. Yeah. So, yeah, I really liked that they just very normalized like a couple friends like getting freaky on vacation with each other yeah and they don't like it's not a deal but they don't not talk about it like they reference the specific things that they did together in bed (laughs) and you know and fun and Mm -hmm. just like they were talking about it the same way that they talk about their their other vacation adventures you know nothing weirder Yeah. yeah yeah they acknowledged it happened but like they're like this isn't anything we're like grossed out by or ashamed of. So yeah, they yeah. just they're just like, oh, and now we change the subject to seashells or whatever. Yeah, turtles, <laughs> turtles. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and I, I like how the the way that they deal with conflict too felt really good. Like, because that's like another area where I feel like you could, you could get you know, like a lesser writing team could get super lazy with how women are in conflict are so often written in these kind of like broad tropes, but. I liked it. I mean, I thought like, you know, it. they are on these solo journeys. And I feel like that I didn't even really register this the first time I watched it. But it's like, oh, that is, a part of their journey is like having to be less reliant on each other and like growing as individuals and not being so, you know, codependent in, in some ways, but also still having that friendship. Mm-hmm. And when they find out they've been lying to each other. I love that they can't lie. Like that being established at the beginning is <laughs> mm-hmm. so funny at Talking Club. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's like they're obviously pissed off at each other. But then they have these like two beautiful forgiveness scenes after the mm-hmm. culottes. And again, when they think that they're, they're going to die right before Trish rescues them. <laughs> yeah, it's so cute. And you know, I mean, it's also like... Um... They have their, and this, I think this is what you are also saying, Jamie, like, they have their fight. They do express, like, the full range of their anger and their sense of betrayal, but it's not in, it's not in, like, this cat fight way, you know? It's, like, how mm, real yeah. human beings engage in serious conflicts when there's a betrayal of trust. Right. Which is cool, because it happens in between all this, like, 
ridiculous shit where like I, I yeah, really with the alligators. The alligators. <laughs> I love the scene where it right right before their fight, like they're tied together and they're like slowly escaping and Jamie Dornan just like doesn't notice because he's talking about himself. And <laughs> yeah. That's so funny. Oh, it's so good. Well, that's one of the things that I absolutely love about this movie, which is you get this like extremely goofy movie where (laughs) I know it's not just a a goofy movie it's an extremely goofy movie agree where women are the leads because like a lot of comedy movies where a woman is the lead or where women are the lead characters they are often rom-coms and a lot of rom-coms are not actually very funny there I said it but like this movie actually has jokes And it's like a rare example of an absurdist comedy that is female driven because most absurdist comedy, which I think is like my favorite subgenre of comedy, like I love absurdism. They're so male dominated. Mm -hmm. Not a lot of room has been made for women in this subgenre, at least like not much in like in the mainstream. Mm -hmm. So I love that this is just like it's so silly you get to see women being very goofy. A lot of very goofy, silly things happen in the movie. And I was just eating it up. Yeah, I agree. There, another uh, another thing that I, I liked about, I don't know, the, the Barb star and Edgar triangle, like the, their <laughs> dynamics. I was like, oh, there's like so much interesting stuff there because it's like just other things that could have happened but then didn't is like we talked about this before but like Edgar is never creepy Mm -hmm. he's usually just listening and is maybe (laughs) just like not the smartest person in the world and doesn't (laughs) always pick up on other people's signals and on top of that like in that sequence where like Barb and Star basically go on the same sort of date with Edgar Mm -hmm. that they both like I don't know, like they just pursue him extremely directly, like without a hint of like insecurity or like they just show up like doing the splits, like, yeah, let's hang out. (laughs) Doing like yoga poses outside his door. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I loved that. Like, yeah, yeah, it's just so funny. I really, I mean, first of all, I love that he's like nine or 10 years younger than them. Yeah. Like Jamie Dornan is than Annie Mumlo and Kristen Wiig. So again, you we talk about the age gap in Hollywood a lot where there's, again, just a tendency to have aging men and their like female co-stars will be like 25 years younger than them. And it's rare to see like an older woman and a younger man. So I appreciated that you have that just representation on screen. And yeah. then and they don't mention it either. They're not like, whoa, cougar, you know? Right. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. It's just normalized. And then I really like when <laughs> when Barb is talking to Edgar on their like little walkabout around Vista Del Mar. And she's like, oh, you know what? Actually you've set me free like our night together like that set me free but that's all this was she like realizes that she just needed like this sex romp to like be the catalyst that like gets her to realize that she like can go off and do fun stuff yeah but that she's not like pining after him maybe the same way that like Kristen Wiig is more interested in him romantically but yeah, I, I like His that Dong af- touched her heart to be fair <laughs> Yeah. Right. Exactly. And that does happen. That does happen. <laughs> um, so I like that even though they're like 
connection between the three of them initiates in this sexual encounter for all of them all at the same time in this threesome but that like there isn't like a love triangle after that right. you know no yeah even though it does seem like they will continue to they, all three of them will be living together <laughs> yeah. uh, back in soft rock nebraska <laughs> which i i love like that would yeah. honestly be the dream life like if i got to live with like a partner and my best friend was also there mm-hmm. like, wouldn't that be great honestly oh. <laughs> yeah i hope they don't change the layout of their house at all and just jamie dornan's in stars bed but they still all share a room yeah <laughs> oh my god yes he joins the talking club he oh he would i feel like he'd be a hit there mm-hmm. yeah he's very oh, yeah. sensitive i mean the golden torso yeah those ladies are gonna gobble him up he would let phyllis talk about horses, horses. god those cutaways they're great oh uh, just like another thing that i just made me laugh the the story of how barb's husband died is so funny <laughs> Where he was like a rodeo star, but he got trampled, but it was at a Black like a Black Friday, Friday sale. sale. <laughs> it's so good. Oh, oh. There's so many. And like you said, Jamie, every time you watch this movie, you like pick up on like subtle jokes that you didn't notice the first time. It's just oh, this movie's so funny. Yeah, I'm so glad it exists. And I hope that I hope that it's like been successful enough that there will be, you know, other opportunities like this made for um for other women and hopefully not a white women you know like Mm -hmm. and and sort of open the open the floodgates to movies like this because it is I mean I guess that I I I can't say for sure whether it's like Bridesmaids is like the movie that Kristen Wiig and Annie Mumolo wanted to make but I do feel like there is this kind of tendency where it just takes women even after they've been very successful like way longer to be able to make like this is the thing I've always wanted to do if I could yeah. make anything. Yeah. Because Kristen Wiig has been, you know, she's been around for at least 15 years, extremely successful. And it's like just this year that you see like her like ridiculous, absurd art project mm-hmm. come out. And I feel like, you know, that tends to come much earlier for men. And yeah, yeah. just like it would be cool if, if women and you know all people who weren't young white guys got that got those same level of opportunities at the same pace which is not true right you know yeah yeah i also think that i I don't know if i recall correctly but i feel like Kristen wig is from kind of like a normal background and was not a super rich person i don't know that could be wrong but yeah no that that is true it feels like the people who are like sons and daughters of Hollywood are able to get those opportunities <laughs> at an accelerated pace. Yeah. 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 I think that they're like Annie Mumolo and Kristen Wigger both from like pretty like standard middle class backgrounds um, back when the middle class was the thing. <laughs> and yeah. And they, and they both became successful in their thirties and like just all, I mean, the, their career trajectories are really cool. And I just, uh, I, I just, from a sentimental point, I'm like, that's so cool that, like, when best friends make a, a movie, I love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very it. fun. Yeah, I also learned that Kristen Wiig had twins last year. Holy uh, shit, that's amazing. Via a surrogate, she and her husband had twins. She's got tiny babies at her house. Wow. I just learned so much on Scholarly Journal Wikipedia this <sighs> week. <laughs> um <laughs> Um, uh, I don't have a lot. Of, yeah, I don't really have 
much else. I would just say, you know, watch the movie. There's some things in it that feel dated uh, that I was disappointed to see. But for the most part, this is a romp. Mm -hmm. This is a very funny movie. The themes and, and the kind of takeaways from it are... Again, just like things that we don't get to see that much of. And I, I hope, yeah, this this movie kind of helps pave the way for more movies like it to be made. And uh, again, yeah, just open up doors for just more diverse and inclusive movies. Again, like specifically absurdist comedies. Let's see more like women-driven absurdist comedies women from all backgrounds, people of marginalized genders from all backgrounds. Oh yeah. We need more of it. Agree. Yeah. With actual budgets too cuz you can tell this movie had like a budget. Yeah. It's yeah. like <laughs> ridiculous. The production design with all of like the very like saturated colors the and beach the tones, pastels. The yeah, the, the pastels. Yeah. yeah. It's like I was looking at the poster and I was like this was like reminiscent of like a Lisa Frank folder yes. I used to have. <laughs> like <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Um but yeah, I, I didn't really have any anything else. No, I yeah, I um I really enjoyed this movie. I I agree that it there are the elements of it that are dated are, are super frustrating because it seems at so many places to have conscientiously avoided dated tropes and so um there are moments where you're like oh these are, you know, Gen X white women who uh maybe mm-hmm. should have consulted some people. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's true because it was very highlighted because they did handle uh, like there was so much about it that felt so original and fresh, you know, that the parts of it that were dated or even just cliched did really stand out like a sore thumb. But I I still love this movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, It passes the Bechdel test, obviously, like except for when they're talking about Edgar, basically the entire time they're talking about all sorts of wild shit. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Trish. They have a whole turtles. Turtles. Yeah, yeah, a lot of turtles. We're led to believe that they spend I'm guessing what would be like a four to five hour flight talking about a woman named Trish that they made up the entire time. <laughs> They're talking about seashells and their friendship bracelets and just every This doesn't everything. pass the Bechtel test, but one of my favorite exchanges was about Kermit's little frog legs. <laughs> yeah. Well, does Kermit count as as a guy? He's a I frog. I think so, right? Mm-hmm. Doesn't okay. he identify as a as a let me check. It, I, I don't know if a non-human male, male is <laughs> I don't know. Mm, good question. I didn't remember to pay super close attention to this, but I feel like the movie does not pass the reverse Bechdel test in that men, I think, don't talk to each other really at all in no. this movie. Edgar and Darley Bunkle do talk to each other. Oh, right, 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 right. Yeah. Yes. But okay. just for a sec. Yeah. But just a little bit. Yeah. The bulk of the conversations in this movie are between women. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll just uh, shout out to Darley Bunkle and uh, Edgar's fight in the sand. Oh my gosh. And the, them rolling they take around. A break. <laughs> so good. Yeah, that was great. Uh, um, oh. Yeah, this movie is so fun. And I, I hope that yeah, it'll it'll make way for more. So let's uh, mm-hmm. let's get to the nipple rating, shall we? Yes, zero to five nipples, based on how the movie fares from an intersectional feminist lens. 
I'm going to definitely knock off some points for the really unnecessary harmful othering of the villain, Mm -hmm. especially because, again, there's such a long history of ascribing a disability or medical condition or mental illness to villains in media as a way to other them and to further villainize them, which in turn demonizes and stigmatizes disabilities and conditions and mental illnesses, Yeah, which is obviously very harmful and there's no need and no excuse for that type of characterization. Yeah. I was disappointed to see that in this movie. Um, This movie is way too white. Aside from those things, there is a lot about this movie that I really like. Because so much of the movie is about celebrating female friendship and normalizing like women being alive in their 40s and that being okay, which most movies do not deem to be okay. Mm. And yeah, that they like rediscover themselves and their friendship is just strong, even stronger at the end of the movie. All those things like that. Uh, I'll give it, I think I'm okay with giving it four nipples, four four out of five. Mm -hmm. That might be way too high, but I do love this movie. And also I fumble the nipple rating every week. So um, (laughs) I'll give one to Barb, one to Star. I'll give one to Darley Bunkle. And then my final nipple I'll give to uh, Jamie Dornan's song about seagulls in the sand. Can you hear my prayer? (laughs) Uh, I'll I'll go I guess I'll, I'll go like I four three point seven five yeah. ultimately the metrics meaningless but <laughs> but uh, but yeah I, I I'll kind of echo what you said that they're making an ableist choice in your villain is just I don't know like really stood out in a movie that you know as we we said tries to avoid those kinds of choices also it is like a very white movie and mm-hmm. didn't need to be. Um, yeah, but 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 I do love this movie. It's so funny. It's so well written, and I love that it's like celebrating uh like long term female friendship, and you know doesn't make them fixated on marriage or fixated on kids or like it's just about them and like finding themselves mm-hmm. and whether it's through a relationship or whether it's through, um you know like meeting Andy Garcia, whatever that means <laughs> to you. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll go, I guess I'll go for it and I'll, um, I guess I, I'll just, I'll just do two to Barb, two to Star, keep it simple. Nice. What about you, Kate? Well, I think, can I do point fives or oh, no? Sh- you can do any increments. Yeah. Okay, want. cool. Um, I'm going to give it, I'm going to give it 3.5. And if you ask me to rate this on the fun scale, I would say five out of five, oh, but yeah. You know, in, it, through an intersectional feminist lens, this is a movie uh, about white people uh, having a very uh, affluent experience, even if they're kind of True. middle class. And it does, I think, you know, rely on uh, racist and ableist tropes to tell certain aspects of the story. So I don't know. I would say intersectional feminism, 3.5, but it is a really fun movie still. So. Fair, very fair. Oh yeah. Uh, well, Kate, thank you so much for joining us in this discussion. It's been a delight. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Sorry if you can hear my little cat in the microphone at the door. <laughs> he is really mad that I locked him out. 
Uh, well, you'll be able to return to him so soon. But first, tell us where people can check out your stuff, follow you on social media, all that good stuff. So on Twitter, I am at Kate Willett, and Willett has two L's and two T's, and I am Kate Dot Willett. Same spelling on Instagram. I have a new audiobook out called Dirtbag Anthropology that is an exploration of masculinity from my perspective, which is, you know, a feminist comedian, and it's kind of like part memoir, part podcast, part like you know, research. And it's just like, it was a really, really, really fun project to make. Uh, it's just available on Audible Plus. And then I also have a podcast called Reply Guys with uh, mm. Julia Clare. And it's Friend a leftist. Show. Yeah, it's a leftist feminist comedy podcast. So, you know, we, we are talking about stuff through uh, an intersectional feminist lens, but it's more like news and politics and stuff. So please mm-hmm. check it out. Please. Oh, yeah. And you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at BechtelCast. We've got our Matreon to subscribe to. It's $5 a month. It gets you access to two bonus episodes every month, plus the whole back catalog. And it can be found at patreon.com slash BechtelCast. Uh, And you can get our merch at tpublic.com slash TheBechtelCast for all your merchandise related needs Mm. and with that let's get another buried treasure (laughs) (laughs) yum yum was that ecstasy you think that was ecstasy mdma Mm, yeah it's gotta be yeah probably (laughs) yeah all right bye 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 bean dad the dress 30 to 50 feral hogs if you knew what any of those were you spend too much time online and hey i do too 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.